0: We're going to be in the book of Romans, if you want to turn to the book of Romans, chapter 10. Hold hold your place there for a little. Um, As I think about, and we're going to be talking about the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The simple gospel is sometimes a common word people use, the simple gospel And um, it occurs to me that we need to be clear on something of so much importance in our life. Anyway, as I was preparing this, my mind, I was reminded just from an experience that I had in the past. And I think perhaps every one of us have had this experience before. And this is what I'm talking about. And some of the young uh, children here, maybe even more recently, have done this in your own classrooms, or maybe it's kind of a party thing, a party favorite. But you know where the teacher puts you in a big circle, and, um, and the teacher will tell the first student in the circle a story. And the, 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 the objective is that the teacher tells the first child the story, and then that child tells the next child and the next student all the way around, and then when you get to the last person, it's a whisper. It's not verbalized. It's just a whisper in the ear of the story. By the time it gets all the way around, then the last person would stand up and share a vocal, vocalize, just share the story that they received. And uh, I remember the first time I'd ever done this, and I remember even as an adult orchestrating the same thing. Wow. The expression on all of the faces in the group is uh, priceless. It's like this um, just dumbfounded, this quizzical look like, that wasn't the story at all. Got all the way around here, and then that wasn't the story. And we're like, how did that even happen, you know? And what's funny is it's not just the first person that heard the story that has that look on their face. It's like everybody around the circle has that look on their face. Like, that's not the story at all. I don't know how that happens. It just happens. I remember one teacher I had. I don't know if they liked it or we liked it. The teacher liked it or the students liked it. But we got to do it more than one time. So it became like our intention to make sure that the last person got the story right. So you'd make this really big effort. And we have the same outcome. It's like, how does this even happen? And I think about God's Word. Does this have happened in the Word of God? That a story gets told and we somehow hear it the wrong way? We express it the wrong way. We share it the wrong way. It's kind of fun in a party when it's an innocent little story. But what if, it's the, what if it's the measure of the truth of God's word? What if it's the gospel of salvation that we're sharing? And we get some vital point of it wrong. How's that going to affect the outcome? It's a lot to think about right there. The last time I had an opportunity to uh, share God's word with you, we were in the book of, if you, if you remember, if you weren't, you'll remember the story, I think, anyways. We were in the book of Daniel. And one of the things that I wanted to do in that message was, I wanted us to look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the event where they were standing, judged by Nebuchadnezzar, judged by his other advisors, and they did not fall on their knees at the sound of the music and worship as was declared that they must do this. Anyone who didn't worship the Nebuchadnezzar's golden idol would be thrown into the fiery furnace. So we talked about that story and we realized what one of the things that came out of that is there's a great show, an expression, I don't like the word show, but we, an evidence of extraordinary faith, Well, I would like to take the word "extraordinary" off and just say there was an evidence of faith. So I don't know what I mean when I say extraordinary faith. Jesus said to some um, when they would show some faith, he said, "I haven't seen such faith in all, uh, faith greater than this in all of the kingdom." And he would be talking about a centurion or maybe even a child or someone. He said. You know, faith is faith. We're the ones that sometimes make faith like little, great, extraordinary, miraculous, This, all this. But it was a show of faith. Nebuchadnezzar, remember, gave them a second chance and said, I can't really believe that you guys did this. All you got to do is bow down on your knees and, and worship. And just a few minutes, it's all over. You can go back to your jobs and it's all good. He actually gave them a second chance to recant and to fall down and worship the golden idol. And they, of course, they wouldn't. This is their answer. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O King But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And he gave them another chance. They said, no way. No way. Our, basically, the thing I wanted to put out there is that for these, for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that was their Hebrew names, for these men, their faith in God was real. And they said, we cannot do this. So they were bound up and they were thrown in the furnace. God was there, a presence there, one like the Son of God was there in the fiery furnace with them. Now, thinking about that story, I think, wow. Wow. I want my faith to be like their faith. How do you see that story? We Remember we talked about this. One of the things that I think is important to understand is that it's very easy to look at people like this and say, wow, they just have this miraculous faith. They have something that's just... Un, you know, they were men of God. They, they were expected, perhaps, to have this kind of faith. They were extraordinary in some measure, and we marvel at this, and all of these things were said. But I think we should be reminded these... What kind of men were these men? You know what what kind of men they were. They're like you and I. They weren't like David's mighty men. Remember when David was just wore out from a, a from a day of battle, or from running from Saul. He was in a cave, and he one time he said something. He said, "I sure wish I could have a drink of I don't remember what place, but some refreshing water that everyone knew this water." He he just kind of verbalized that outwardly and said, I wish I had a drink. And uh, his mighty men rose up and said, let's do this for our king. And they went out against all odds in the middle of the night. And they got water from, for David, their, their king, from this special well. And I thought to myself, you know what? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they weren't mighty men. You know who they were? They were sheep. Just like you and me. They were sheep who who worshipped the Lord their God. Who loved the Lord their God. Who who rejoiced in the Lord their God. That's the kind of faith that is real faith. And I would be careful to define, that that we should all be careful not to define faith in any other kind of way. Maybe you'll take something vital away from it. Maybe you'll excuse yourself from that kind of faith because you think to yourself, you know what, if I were in a situation like that, maybe I would have fallen on my knees and worshiped the the golden image and I would have escaped this kind of uh, outcome, this having been thrown into the fiery furnace and lose my life. I would escape it. You're thinking, no, no, no. It's not what faith's about. It's not what you get or escape or... It's it's about God. It was about for these. It was when these Hebrew children saw this, their comment was this. We have no need to to deliberate. We have no need to work it through in our hearts and our minds. We know how how we're going to respond. Because why? Because God's enough for us. It wasn't they enjoyed God daily. He was a part of their life. They served him. They communed with him. They fellowshiped with him. They prayed to him. They spoke to each other about him. They sang songs together about him. They love the Lord. and This this is the easiest decision we've ever made in our lives. There's no way. This is the gospel. This is a believing and a confessing that the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 10 that we're going to read. Let's look at this passage of Scripture. And then I would challenge you, because I don't know where you are this morning. and You may be a visitor. You may be new in your faith maybe you heard faith in a way different than this Um, I pray this this is my heart's desire is that if you've never heard the gospel you'll hear it this morning you'll receive the gospel and you'll call Jesus Lord and Master and if that happens please share it with someone don't keep it to yourself but confess it there's so many in this church that would love to walk with you through the, the beginning of your faith and and get you just in discipleship. For others, it may be that over the period of time, because of the events in your life as things go along like children telling a story, one to another to another, over the events and trials and afflictions that you've had to face in your life, there's been a washout of the gospel, so to speak, in your mind where it's not so clear to you anymore. What does it mean to be a child of God? Some people think, you know, I look at God and I think, you know what, there's, when I look at the events of my life, I, I've often said, where is he? I don't know that he's the Lord of my life, because surely if he was the Lord of my life, things might not be falling out this way in my daily walk. I don't know where you are, but I pray that through God's word, we align ourselves with this and we understand, and then we begin to rejoice when we see how wonderful the gospel is. It literally means the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is his good news to you. And I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that it will settle in your heart that this is good news. And that your heart would be refreshed in this news. Let's look at Romans chapter 10. I want to read verse 1 all the way through verse 10 of Romans chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear witness, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Now he's actually speaking to, uh, of his Jewish brothers. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Let me just stop right here because I I don't want to forget to say this. Let me read that verse again. Listen, read it very carefully with me. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Just so you know, this has never been accomplished except in Jesus Christ. This has never been accomplished. And we'll say more about it later. Do not say, verse number 6, but the righteousness based on faith says... Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me read it again. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, One believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So the Apostle Paul writes this book to the Romans, the Christians, the brothers and sisters of faith that live in Rome. Paul has yet to go to Rome, but he hears of their faith, and it becomes a great concern of his that they hear the gospel plainly. I think it's better to to use the word plainly than simply because sometimes I don't really get the feeling when I study the word of God and I study about the gospel of our Lord that it's just simple. It's plain and it is as it says it is and that's clear. Let's look at his word. Let's just go verse by verse and let's move down through this and align our hearts With the word of God. I want to know. I want to be on a path to understand and know the God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew. That he was, their relationship with him was so much that he he was enough for them. They didn't need anything else. Life, I can close the door on life on this earth this quick. I can just be with my Lord, and that's the way they saw it. That's exactly the way they saw it. Look at verse 1 in chapter 10. He begins to unfold the gospel and share with the Romans the nature of of the gospel of salvation. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Let's just look at this right here. This is an intense Apostle Paul. He, He says, my heart's brothers and sisters, He says to them, he says, my heart's desire to God for them is that they may be saved. If you go back to chapter 9, just in the same book in Romans 9, he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit. And this is the heart of the Apostle Paul. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish." wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. It's theirs, but they don't want it. They turn it down. They walk away. To them belong the patriarchs from their race, according to the flesh. It is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Paul had, a, he had anguish in his heart over their lost condition. He saw this kind of urgency with the gospel. Uh, to be sure, it is his heart's desire to put this out before them in the most plain way that he can so no one gets this wrong. It's, it's too important of a matter. This is something we can't get wrong. You don't go and walk into the kingdom of heaven and God says, you know, for the most part, you you got some of the important things wrong. But for the most part, your intentions were good. You were trying and you did so much in the church. My goodness, you were at the church all the time. You were serving here and there and there. Mm. Where do you read that in the scriptures? You're going to get into the kingdom of heaven because of all your list of accomplishments. He's going to be very clear on this. So let's listen for this. But there's an urgency. One more thing that he has already told the Romans back in chapter 6. He says, understand this, if you don't understand anything else. Understand this, for the wages of sin is death. Understand this. Let's don't mess the gospel up here. The outcome of not being a believer and not knowing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and not confessing Him and believing in Him is death death and he's not talking about the physical death he's talking about a spiritual death don't be afraid the scriptures teach us of the first death the the death of the body don't be afraid of that be afraid of the of the second death when you are condemned because of your sins to an eternity in hell don't be don't mistake this so this is in wherein lies the urgency here I, i think sometimes to whom is this most important to is it like just mostly important to pastors because they, they have the, you know, it's, it's kind of in, in their calling to, to make clear these things to the church? Of course it is. Is it, is it just uh, mostly important to the elders or, the, or deacons or ministry leaders or just all of us? Most likely moms and dads, you're the one that's going to lead your children to the Lord. Most likely, you're the one that will share the gospel with your children. Make it clear. Make it plain. Sometimes I wonder if we could think. It's a, you know, do you, when you think about the gospel, is it clear to you? We don't have time for an exercise like this, but it might be interesting to write down in your thoughts, maybe you're already there in your own heart now even doing this, writing down in your heart, okay, what do I know about the gospel? Do I understand it exactly? Do I understand it as I should? Do I understand it as the word of God declares it? It's important. It doesn't matter if you understand it like this pastor said or that pastor said or this TV evangelist said or this this, uh, Christian author said. Do you understand the word of God and what it says about the gospel? It's a very urgent thing. We want it to be clear. We want it to be precise. We don't want mixture of error. Paul was concerned and he desired greatly to protect the gospel. So his heart's desire and prayer to God is for them that they might be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal of God. but not according to knowledge. That's dangerous. A zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. That's a lot of people in this world who feign themselves as very religious. Indeed, they are very religious, but, they, but their zeal and their efforts and their passions are not according to knowledge. It's not according to the truth of God's word. And in particular, I want to go back to chapter 9, verse 31, just to, just look up a little bit. Look what it says in verse 31, but that Israel who pursued a law, remember what we said earlier in um, verse number 5, what Moses said, if you're going to live by the law, you're going to be judged by the law. And nobody was ever to keep, able to keep the law except for Christ. Look at verse 31. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. They didn't understand righteousness. They got it wrong. They thought it was the, the, the onus was on them to keep the law. So, well, they're, you know, they got the hold of the Old Testament. I mean, can you, not, can you blame them for this pursuit? Absolutely. Go back to Deuteronomy and read when Moses was received the, the word from God, when he received the law from God and he shared it with the people. It was the Ten Commandments and then he and, and expounded on those. And one of the things that you read in the Old Testament, and, and the, I think the average church member sometimes thinks, no, that verse is a New Testament verse. It just belongs in the New Testament. And no, it doesn't. It, it was a quote from the Old Testament Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. All of you. You have to be all together invested. Your whole of your heart, all of your love, all of your devotion belongs to God. Keeping the law is important, but if your heart is not in it's Nothing. So for the Jews, their problem, as Paul would tell them, is that they didn't succeed in keeping the law. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith. They did it as if it was based on works. They literally wanted to be able to commend themselves to God based on their works. Don't we get that way sometimes? I know it's not true. I 100% know that this is not true. Wow, it's so easy. Sometimes I slip into that. I was getting ready for the message this morning and, and um, or through the last couple of weeks and every once in a while I went in and I said, man, I've got to make sure I get my, my devotion time and I've got to do this and this and this or God's not going to give me favor and this and this. I slipped into works and I, and I shake it off. It's okay, people. It's our old nature and you're never going to get rid of it. But shake it off and understand that you are saved by grace and by faith. And by, the, by what you believe and what you confess in your heart, not by your works. It's dangerous to ever think that way. If love takes over in your heart, works will be there. You'll be postured in your heart so that you don't even know you're doing it. And you're doing those things that please your Lord. You will just be doing those things. Paul says, let's go on. I wanted to say something about zeal. Whoops, I just looked down at my timer to see how I was doing, and I didn't set it. Hang on one second. We're good. Okay. I think. No worries. Um, When you all start getting up and leaving to go home, I'll stop. Maybe you're right. I've been teaching for so many years in public school and now in, in the Emirates and stuff, I, I, you know, teachers, we just teach to the bell. So if somebody has a bell, and you can just like ding it, then I, I'll know when it's time. And then I always tell them, so you got five minutes before you're tardy to your next class, so give me a, another minute or so. Anyway, so he says, that, the, think about zeal. Because sometimes it's hard to tell zeal. We get lost in this context of zeal. But you know that zeal is this—it's this passion. It's, it, it looks good in, in, a, in a large context. It's, it's very genuine. And it's like, wow, zealousness. How can that be so wrong? Really passionately involved in something and is too excited about it all the time. It's, it's about eagerness and, and, and someone who's very ardent in everything they do. Paul says that their problem is that it was all about that. And it didn't have any, anything at the core. There was nothing at the base. There was no substance to it. But how does faith describe? Faith is described as something that has validity to it. It's, it's, it's within the heart. It's a strong belief. It's trust. It's fidelity. It's loyalty. These just come out of an average dictionary. It's it's devotion. And we could, I think, even say if we think about faith long enough, you know what it really comes down to? Faith is love. These Hebrews were allowed to tell Nebuchadnezzar, forget it. We're not bowing down to you. We love. Our faith is in God. Our trust is in God. Our devotion is in God. We love Him. And He's enough for Him. So the only real danger we face here is if we're taken away from Him. And they knew if they bowed the kneel the knee, to this golden idol and worshipped it, they would be taken away. So that's why they said, there's no worries here. As long as we're not taken away, we're good. That's faith. In Hebrews 11, 1, kind of the, the, the um, hall of fame of faith, it's very interesting and great study, but in the, in the first verse, it's defined. And it says this, Now, and I want to read the King James Version because I was always confused by it, but it's in my head now. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay, you've got to stop and think about this. This is not a verse to read quickly. It's one to to settle down on and, and think about and let it work through your heart and pray God will reveal this to you. In the Amplified Version, it says this. Now, faith is the assurance... Literally, these words are compatible to each other. They're synonyms of each other. It is an assurance. It's the confirmation. It's like a title deed. The fact that you have faith. Now what's really weird about that is we think to have faith, we've got to bring to the table this this great list of accomplishments. We want to be able to commend ourselves to God and show our faith by all the things that we've done. Paul says not, this is not it. This is not what faith is. You're talking a little bit about obedience to a God you love and you confess that you love. But this is not what faith is. Faith is a title deed. It's because you said this, I believe. You have declared it in your heart. You have confessed it with your mouth and you said, I believe. And simply because you said, I believe, that is a title deed to the kingdom of heaven. That is, your, that is the door open to you. That is the invitation of the Holy Spirit. That you said, I believe this. And you confess it. So that's, that's the context here of faith. It is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for being proof. Just by our belief is the proof of things that we do not see. It is the conviction of, the, of their reality. It's true because I believe it. I so said, is that really enough? Well, I might simply ask you, do you believe? Do you believe in the God of heaven? The creator. Do you believe in the word of God? Then I would say to you, yes, it's enough. You confessed it. You believe it. Let's look at verse number three. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They were trying to figure out in their mind, what does God require? they got steered wrong in trying i'm going to keep the law if i can keep the law god's going to say good well done and it's going to be all everything's going to be right if i can just keep the law and i i can give evidence that i'm keeping the law the scary thing about the law is the bible teaches us that if you, if it were possible and it's not possible but if it were possible that you could keep the law 99.999 i'm put a repeating sign above that 99.99 forever You can keep that much of the law, but you fail the law in the smallest possible way. You have not completed it. You have not lived up to the demands of the law, and therefore you're going to be judged by the law. And it's that 0.00001 that that you missed that's going to condemn you to hell forever. How is that fair? Who said you get to ask that question? We don't get to ask that question. This is the word of God. His plan is so much better, but you just can't keep it. It would just—it would completely destroy the context of the holiness of God if you were to wink at a sin and say it doesn't matter. It's okay. I mean, after all, for the most part, you're a pretty good guy. For the most part, you—you've done good in life. You've accomplished a lot. You're—you're kind of you give you give. You're you're a bit humble. Yeah, yeah, you're good enough. Come on in. No, it doesn't go that way. You have to be 100% righteous. And remember their mistake is that they thought their righteousness was on them, and it wasn't. Their righteousness would be accredited to them based on their faith. Isn't that amazing? It would be based on faith. There's some really good stuff here. Let's let's move along here. Um, Verse number four. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's the end of it. What does that mean? Well, it's like this. It's like like saying this was the design and the purpose of it. And Christ was what the law was supposed to show. It was what the law was supposed to usher in. Two things, actually. First of all, that you can't keep the law. You know why the Jews hated Christ? Christ. Those that condemned him, why they hated him, besides being jealous and envious of him. Because he put it to where he, the, the, they, it was impossible to do that. You know, they, they thought, well, we're pretty good because the Moses said, Thou shalt not kill. And they say, we've never killed anybody. We're good. And Jesus would change that, and not change it, but he would expound on it and he says, Well, I'll tell you this if you've ever just hated your brother. You've been at odds with your brother and you've hated your brother. You have murdered him. Well, that just gave them that look in their eyes and thought, you know. We've never committed adultery. We're pretty good people. And Jesus said, if you've ever thought about it in your mind, you've committed adultery. And they step back and they go. And then on and on he would do. And put that before them to the, his goal, Christ's goal was them, for them just to throw their hands up and say, it's not going to, we can't do this. Good. That's what I want you to realize. You can't keep the law. And what Paul says to the Romans, he says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Because here it is, folks. He died on the cross. The only one that ever kept the law 100%. Because he was God and he could not deny himself. He was God. And he didn't deserve to die, but he died for us. He took our punishment and gave us his righteousness. How does that happen? Is that a hard, complicated, difficult thing? No. It's understanding and being taught it and then saying, I believe that. I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that I can't keep the law. And Jesus did this for me because he loves me. And all I got to do is say, I, I'll, I'll take that. I'll receive that. I believe that. Then it's done. It's done because your righteousness is what it's supposed to be from the beginning. What it was supposed to be for the Jews in the Old Testament. It is because of faith. It is because of faith. Verse number five, Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. We said a minute ago, nobody ever did this until Christ. Verse number six, but the righteousness based on faith does not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Okay. That's a complicated verse, it seems like. What is it talking about? What is it it, it saying here? But the righteousness based on faith says this. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? It's kind of an expression that was common to Jews. And this was the expression. It, It was an expression of the measure of difficulty. Guess you'll have to go clear to heaven to figure this one out. Kind of like that. You'd have to get to heaven before you're going to know that. In other words, it's impossible to know. Or same, the abyss. You would have to go on the, the most monstrous journey. It kind of was well known also in, er, in the early biblical, in the first century, it was common even before, maybe even today. But for men who would be wise to go on a journey and to learn through their journey, long journeys, would gain them wisdom. So this is the expression that's coming here. And basically it said is don't say this in your heart. That I'll have to go all the way into heaven to get this figured out, or ascend into hell to get this figured out. To go the utmost degree of, of effort to figure this out. Don't say that, because that is not what righteousness based on faith is all about. I think there's something else in this that I think is powerful and stands out in in an amazing way, and that is that. um, We look at faith this way, and we realize that it's by its righteousness by faith, and that you. It's like saying this verse is like saying. You could have never figured this out. You could have never come up with an idea if you went to the farthest reaches of the universe and the cosmos. You would have never come up with a plan like God has. A good news that He has for you. A righteousness that He says, I will acquire this for you and then I will give it to you. I will live up to the law and then I'll just give it to you if you'll believe and confess with your mouth. And let me love you and I invite you to love me. Nobody could think that up. Study. If you've ever studied religion, sometimes it's interesting to study other religions. No, nobody comes close to this. Nobody comes close to this kind of profession of truth and God's love for us. Nobody does. It's an amazing saying. So he's saying, don't think in your heart. If you're going to acquire some righteousness, you've got to do all of this. Look at the next verse. Verse number 7, or verse number 8. But what it does say is this. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. It is near you. It's utterance. It's by an utterance, literally by an utterance, a speaking. That's how close it is to you. Who hasn't thought this somehow in your journey of knowing God and, and, and never come up with this expression in some ways, is that all it takes? Really? Is that it? it? Just an utterance. God says, I've done it for you. All you have to do is say, I believe it and receive it and confess it. And that's, that becomes the end of it. So that's how righteousness comes not by extraordinary efforts, not by your works. And now verse number 9. Let's talk about confession and believing. If you look at this closely, it's interesting the way the words are laid out on the page. And I think Paul, very intentionally by the power of the Spirit leading him, makes it clear here. Verse number 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So, confess with your mouth, utter with your mouth, simply with your mouth, I believe this is true. Now, maybe today you're not ready to do that. Maybe you don't know enough. Start looking Start talking, start asking, get into your Bible, talk to the pastor, talk to elders, talk to anyone, talk to your friends who are believers. Find out, understand the word of God. When you do hear this, it's near to your heart. There's two things I want to say about this, but I think primarily by the, just the usage of the word here in the Greek, to, to confess is to utter, is to declare, to say. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Literally says, if you will say the same thing that his word says. If you will say the same thing. So I like it because you know what? Nobody gets a license to rewrite the scripture. Nobody has a license to rewrite the scripture. You know, I just don't like that part. I think I shared with you once before, a long time ago I was teaching a Sunday school class in an adult Sunday school class, and we were going over some of Paul's teachings and some of his theology in one of the church letters. There was a person in the class. Their comment when it was time to share is, I don't like that. Literally, said, I don't like that. I want a highlighter that can, a black highlighter that I can just strike over that line. Serious, not like in jest or anything else. Not saying, well, it's kind of hard to, no, no, serious. I just don't like that. I thought, how many of us, maybe not as bold, have read things in the Scripture? I don't, I, I don't think really... God, you know, God doesn't require that. I know that this brother or this sister says, but God doesn't really require that. You know what? This is too important. You see what I'm saying? It's too important. Are you ready to confess with your mouth? Do you, are you, ready? Do you know your Lord? We need to. It's too important. you got to get this right. So study... Read, ask questions, pray, ask God to show you. Most likely He already is working in your heart, even now. It is near you, not someplace far away. When the Apostle Paul, before he was a believer, was on the road to Damascus with papers in hand to wreak more havoc on the church, you know the story, a light shone from, from heaven around him, he fell to the ground, and this is the account of his salvation, he, and in that account, Paul says, who are you? He says, I am the Lord whom you are persecuting doesn't tell us anything. We can imagine what, how Paul felt about that. But then it says, hasn't, Paul, hasn't it been difficult for you to always be pushing against the goads? Now, this is like a, a team of oxen set to plow a field, and they have sticks with sharp like nails in it, so can, they can, can be controlled a little bit, you know? They try to go this way or this way. They're going to feel that and feel that. Something sharp poking them, and it's going to help control them and take them down the, the road where, wherever the farmer's trying to go, all right? He says, hasn't it been hard for you? What does that mean? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just my interpretation. I feel as the Spirit of God was working on Paul. It was haunting him. And he, 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 was, he, was, he knows what he's talking about. They had a zeal, but not according to knowledge, because Paul says, that was me. I had a zeal, but it wasn't according to knowledge. And when he learned, oh, changed his life, right? Changed his life. I think that when it says the word is near you, just by the providences of today, you're in church, you're here, you're listening to his word, you're, you're reading in Romans, and you're reading about the gospel. By his providences, you are hearing. It's near you. It's utterance is in, it's, it's just to be uttered and confessed, I believe. And the Spirit of God is working in the heart so he says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now notice it was confess and believe. And then look at the next verse, 10. For with the heart, if one believes and then confesses. So does one have to come before the other? Believe and then confess, confess and then believe. I think because Paul changes the order of that, it's together. It's together. One can't happen without the other. You can't feel in your heart and say, God, I, I desire you. If you're happy, I speak to the lost, something you would share with the lost. If you're happy with the world and you want to embrace the world and you like where it's taken you, then it's not near you. But If you begin to question and wonder what is your purpose in life. And what is valuable. What's important. What is it to have forgiveness. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel the weight of my sin. And the weight of my choices. I can't even see clear to the end of today. Or I can't see clear to the end of my. I don't know what God wants from my life. It's because you're, you're in charge. That's why you can't figure it out. It's because you think you're in charge. But confession And believing is saying, I want him to be my Lord. Look what it says you have to confess. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Are you ready to do that? If you're believers now, maybe you've gotten away from that. How do you know if you've gotten away from that? It's easy. because we all have from time to time. It's easy. You know what it looks like? It looks like this. You start complaining about everything around you. You've taken your eyes off the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you begin to doubt God's presence in your life, because if there was a God, He wouldn't let this and that happen. And I'll let you fill in the blanks. There's some sorrowful, tearful, grievous stories that people can share about what's happened in their life, and the trials and the afflictions, the loss of a child, the loss of a spouse, our own personal failures in life overcome us. And we think, God, you weren't there. I even cried to you. I even called out to you and you weren't there. Don't you or I ever presume to tell God that he's not there. He owns the universe. He is there. and He has a plan for our life. It's not just a fun verse to quote. He has a plan and a purpose and a design. And it's primarily this. He already loves you from before the foundations of the world. He has declared his love for you. What's working now is him to help you love him. So I want to take care of the problem of sin right away. And I'm going to die for you. We have a gospel that has not been told so well as it's gone from ear to ear, ear to mouth, ear to mouth. It just hasn't been told well. People leave it out. And in every age, there's been a huge effort to make sure this doesn't happen. Paul came back off his second missionary journey, went into Jerusalem for the Jerusalem conference And there were those Jews coming down saying, Paul, make sure as you go to the Gentiles, you really need to tell them that they need to be circumcised. You really need to tell them. And all that was was the beginning of saying, you need to incorporate this part of the law and this part of the law. Don't give them assurances until this is in place. No, then that becomes righteousness by works and not by grace. So Paul said, no. You want us to put a yoke, a, a burden, some yoke, a heavy weight on them that you and our fathers were never able to bear? Don't change the gospel. Over and over, he would declare this to the first century church because they, temp- they were so tempted and so often found themselves doing this. You and I can't change the gospel. If we're going to confess with our mouth that He is Lord of our lives, then we need to say, I'm glad that He's the Lord of my life. I'm thankful that He's the Lord of my life. I trust Him with every trial He brings my way, with every storm that I encounter. I trust Him in that. How does it look if if our lives are constantly full of complaining? We're constantly complaining about this thing and that thing. We're going to, but put it in perspective. rein it in and say, Lord, help me to see what You're trying to do. Help me to relax with your plan, God, and enjoy you without sitting there just saying, God, I need to order things. You need to do things on my timetable because it fits better with me and I'm comfortable. Why can't you be comfortable in the love of God? Why can't we be at peace and full of joy with His providence and His wise counsel in our lives and His word of truth and His plan for us? Why can't we be comfortable and full of joy with that? so that we are not different than those three Hebrew children standing at the fiery furnace saying no to Nebuchadnezzar and perhaps looking in the furnace and seeing their Lord say, it's okay, come on in. I'm I'm here for you. As hard as it is, I'm here for you. And you've shown your love to me. That's what I want. Because when you mature enough in your faith, you will see how great is His love. Right now, we're just really good, I think. Sorry, if my, my judgment. here, My observations, maybe just in myself. But we're really, really good at singing about His extravagant love and how great is His love and how jealous He is for us. I love those songs. They, make my, they lift my heart up. They exalt me in Christ but I need to practice them. I need to practice those things. We need to take these songs and these these truths of the Scripture and we need to sing them in our lives every day. You know what I think is dangerous and we need to be careful of besides the time? Okay, I'll finish with this. Has our generation exiled all of our worship and all of our faith and everything to a Friday morning. You get what I'm saying? You wait till Friday morning to worship. You wait till Friday morning to pray and you wait till Friday morning to sing worship songs. You wait till Friday morning to commune with brothers and sisters. I'll tell you something Friday morning, and what Matthew Our pastor has to say, will never ever be enough for you if you exile the whole of your Christian walk and the whole of your confession of faith to a Friday morning. It'll never be enough. Our pastor's message on Friday is like a fuel stop. And you need it again the next day. I know it's an easy thing to think about if we just... Hang on to a little bit longer, but if we look at it this way, I always tease my younger, when my sons were younger, I always tease them about this. They're like sitting there at the table, just shoveling it in, right? Just enjoying themselves, (laughs) eating, eating, eating. And then, like, even with their mouth full, they're saying, like, hey mom, uh, what's for supper? (laughs) Isn't that funny? They're eating and do what's for supper. It's like, wait, you've never missed a meal in your whole life, and you're worried about what's going to be for supper. How come we don't translate that a little bit to our life and our walk with God and our desire for Him and our love for Him and our, de- our need of Him? If Friday morning is the only thing we get, it's the only meal we sit down and have with, with spiritual, spiritually with our Lord, man, no wonder our weeks are hard. No wonder it seems like it's so long before next Friday. Because we're not nourished by the word of God and continually. We need this. We need this. This confession. Believing in and confessing. I think what is important here about confessing the word of God is this. If you say it, literally say it with your mouth, then it will at least be clear to you if you're not doing it. And certainly clear to other people. I said it, I believe it, I'm, I, I'm confessing is like acting on it, acting on it. Let the Spirit speak to you about the gospel. My, my desire in, in, in thinking about the gospel is not to bring a fear into your life about, oh, now, I, when I came in this morning, I felt like for sure I was saved, and now like, oh, I don't know if I'm believing, that wasn't the purpose The purpose is to set the glory of God up so much that we just aspire to Him and we desire Him and He's enough for us. He loves you and all you have to do is just confess with your mouth. Believe and confess with your mouth and serve and just own Him as your Lord. Own Him in everything. And He'll be with you. His presence will fill you. His love will fill you and restore you. It isn't going to make everything right in the world. It's going to make it all right here. And that's all we want. That's all we desire. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for that you've acquired righteousness on the cross. Thank you, Lord, that we know that this baby Jesus that we've just recently celebrated his birth on Christmas was, was Father, it was you incarnate in the flesh giving yourself with, that you would become the end of the law, you would fulfill the law and complete the law so that you could pass on the benefit of that to us. By faith we believe and receive that Lord and own you as you own us as our Lord and Savior. We love to be a Heart of you, Father, counted in your kingdom an heir to the throne. Join heirs with Christ. We give you the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.